Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Okay. So <laughs> the answers to the questions. Denise was tried as an adult, as you guessed. Knew Good it. job. At her trial, the jury found her guilty of all three counts. And then it gets worse. <laughs> oh, boy. She was sentenced as a 16-year-old to life with a mandatory minimum of 51 years. What? So let that sink in. And it's on all its awfulness. That's her whole, that's like. She's like, what, like 60 something when she gets out? She will be 51. She's going to be 67. Yeah, 67. When she gets out. No, thank you. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Especially for, okay. (laughs) I'm just going to take a deep breath here. Okay, while you're breathing, I'll explain a mandatory minimum just in case someone doesn't know. So a mandatory minimum is just what it sounds like. So (laughs) it's where you have to serve a mandatory, they set the minimum. So in first degree murder in the state of Tennessee, that's 51 years. So if you're sentenced to life, you have to serve at least 51 years before you are up for parole. I mean, you have judicial discretion as a judge, but you mm-hmm. also have like judicial guidelines that are very heavily suggested that you follow. So yes, 51 years mandatory minimum for a first degree murder is one of those. And it doesn't matter what age you are. and It doesn't matter the circumstances. So mm. the state of Tennessee like screwed over Denise. They, she should have been tried by a whole... She should have been on... The jurors should have all been 16-year-olds. Yeah, that would be a jury of her peers. You're right. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I have a secret. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, God. This is going to make me giggly. This is, this is all a dream. It's <laughs> This is all a dream. None of that happened. <laughs> no. I lied. I, so I wrote my I, own murder story. This is my own case. I'm going to write a think? novel. What do you think? This of is course, my idea. Of course, this would be something you would write about because it's so heavily trial based. <laughs> and the murder was like, so she shot a guy through the head. Big one. <laughs> so I'm just that I did not writing a novel. I was just kidding. So this my, is real. my secret okay. is that I told you her name was Denise because that's the real person's middle name because you know the real person. I know and the, okay, you know the real okay. person. Okay. And okay. I didn't want to tell you and also listeners know, I'm assuming, but I didn't want to tell you who she was because I I wanted to get your opinions on the murder without the recent issues like clouding your judgment you know there's recent issues that would cloud my judgment (gasps) oh my god i know who this is i know who it is i know who it is okay 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 um it is uh that girl (laughs) denise is really centoya brown yes (laughs) oh my god the minute you said it (laughs) recent events oh my god i didn't know the details of her case all i knew is that she had been sex trafficked and um, I read the recent article that was... Um... Don't say it. Oh, okay. Because we're going to say it later. Oh, okay. Just okay. in case someone doesn't know. So, Centoya Brown has been in the headlines recently because, obviously, a lot of people feel the way we feel about her case, that it's ridiculous. And mm-hmm. that not only is, like, it ridiculous on the face, but the sentence is even more ridiculous. And people have been advocating for her for so long, but it only recently kind of came to the forefront because 
celebrities got involved, like Rihanna yeah. and Kim Kardashian and people, I don't know, there's people that people think are important were like mm-hmm. um, really big social influencers yeah, really who t- have no other purpose. Rihanna has a purpose. Though. Yeah. I enjoy Rihanna. Not a big fan of Kim Kardashian, though. Well, she actually does a lot with criminal justice reform, know, which is really recently, random. She's been doing that so recently. I like that. That's and I'm like, cool. what are you doing? Well, I mean, her dad was a lawyer. That is true. But what I really liked about even Kim Kardashian's involvement with Centoya Brown is that it was very genuine. And they, like, Rihanna and Kim were both very educated about this case. They brought a lot of attention to it. I'm not sure who else was on that list. Um, Those are the two people. LeBron that, James. Yeah. And... Amy a Schumer, of, like some other people. Yeah, yeah. Some, but those are the two names that I think were thrown around the most. Mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian was the one I knew first. I like. I think it's really annoying when people are like, celebrities should just be celebrities and like not have an agenda. And it's like, well, if if you're famous and you can influence, why not? Because obviously mm-hmm. people have been advocating for Centoya Brown. Like she's not a new story no. at all. She's just new to some people who don't necessarily follow things like that because celebrities that are really influential brought those stories to the forefront. And I love that they did that. Like use your platform if you've got it. I don't care how, what, how you got to your platform. Yeah. You now have it and it's your platform. Do what you want with it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't take issue with people seizing the moment at like an award show or anything like that. Granted, they usually say things that I am in support of, so I'm not on the opposite side of that argument where it may be annoying to hear someone who you really enjoy as an artist, like totally shut down your political viewpoints. But for me, I love it. I'm all about it. I'm yeah. all about it. Well, I mean, it. I want to know that. Like if, if I'm supporting you as an artist and then you're an asshole, like I, I think that I would like to know that so that I don't support you anymore. Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, like, it's just like, oh, well, I still love R. Kelly's music, so I'm still going to keep listening to it. Nope. No, thank you. Not anymore. I don't watch the Cosby show anymore. I will not watch C.K. Lewis. I'm not doing it. Mm -mm. I won't do it. See, that's not his name. See, is C.K. Lewis his name? Yeah. K.C. C.K.? C.K. Yeah, Yeah. C.K. Lewis. Mm -hmm. He has a, he had like a very hilarious stand up on Netflix from like, I think it was like 2014 or something. Mm -hmm. That was hilarious, and now yeah. I can't laugh at it. I also which skipped through his parts in Parks and Rec too. Because is he in there too? Yeah, I don't wow. watch those episodes. They need to vet their, <laughs> their I cast. Know. I feel bad because, like, what do you do with that stuff? Because he's like an integral part of the plot for one of the seasons. Yeah, because he dates one of the main characters. Yeah, and I was like, oh god, dang it! <gasps> you know who's the most upsetting though? Who? I love the Today Show. So Matt Lauer upset me to my core. I love the Today Show because you wake up at 7, you watch it, you get some hard news for Mm -hmm. an hour. And then at 8, it like slowly transitions into like Hoda drinking wine. Yeah. Well, I think that happens at like (laughs) 10 or 11. Yeah. Oh, Charlie Rose was also a bummer too because I loved his show. I don't know who that is. So he did like a nighttime interview show with a whole bunch of people and he's a very intelligent, well- Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. I know he's like a really well-educated and well-spoken not journalist. Yeah, he that got involved happened. in some scandals and stuff and it was really unfortunate because I respected him quite a deal. And I just remember my dad and I would watch Charlie Rose at midnight when we both couldn't sleep. Because we both have epic insomnia. 
inherited. <laughs> so yeah, we we would sit downstairs and watch it. And um, Jessica Lang was on there. Um, he talked to Bob Ross for an episode. It was just a bummer. It was just a bummer. It is. A, you know who else was a? This is a fun conversation. <laughs> um, Harvey Weinstein, because yeah, the Weinstein family all, like produces all of Quentin Tarantino's stuff. Yes, and that's true. Not that like. And I think that it's hard to support Quentin Tarantino anymore because he admits to passively be like to being passive about it. Yeah. Um, not that he partook, but that he didn't really he just do let anything and he knew or kind of knew. Yeah. I don't really know. But um he's not super clear on that. But that's upsetting because obviously that's one of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about Reservoir Dogs. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I'm still gonna watch his movies and love them because I can't not. But I have to constantly remind myself that you're an yes, asshole. Yes, but you are not forgiven. No. Ugh, that sucked. That and really I feel sucked. Like, yeah, like, I feel like those people should be stripped of all of their accolades. Mm-hmm. 100%. I don't yeah. even care. That one was like, so shocking. That one really started. That The Weinstein, like, people exper- um, sharing their experiences with Harvey Weinstein was, like, person after person after person. It was that such one a catalyst was, for That one so was incredible. Things. Yeah. yeah. In a Ooh. not in a great way, but you know, no, but well, also, but also in, a in a great way. way. Yeah, <gasps> jinx. <Stop>. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know how we got in that conversation, but we'll get back to the one we were having. Mm-hmm. Now that we know it's Centoya, I'm going to tell you about her life before she murdered Johnny. And most of what I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, did not come out during the trial. And I think that if it had, a jury would have thought differently about her actions on that night. Maybe. Who's to say? But I'm going to tell you anyways. And I'm going to start by talking about her biological maternal family. So her grandmother, Joan, had a really difficult upbringing. A lot of people in her family suffered from severe mental health issues, and several of them attempted suicide. Then one of the worst things that could happen to anyone, in my opinion, happens to her. She was dating or was married to some guy. I don't know. She's in a relationship with Uh a guy. Gotcha. And then she decides to split up with him. And it sounded like the breakup was initiated by her and that he didn't want to to break up with her. So in retaliation, this guy gets someone to find Joan and rape her. Oh, my God. Like, as a... In retaliation. I don't know how else to put that. It's sort of like a weird revenge... Revenge, Plot. yeah. That's disgusting. I know. And then, as if that's not already, like, the worst thing you've ever heard, she gets pregnant as a result of this rape and has a baby, and that baby is Georgina Mitchell, who is Centoya's mom. Oh, God. I know. That's a lot of baggage on that family, just, like, as a whole. Yeah. Every, like, it's, that's terrible. Okay. So Georgina just goes by Gina, so I'm going to call her that. Okay. So Gina grows up in this single-parent home in a family with a lot of mental health issues, and when she's a teenager, someone rapes her, too. God. Unfortunately, it's not as rare as we think it is. It just sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just not talked about as often. Right. And it's not only the individuals experiencing these awful things that may suppress it. I think it's more often society that determines those people and their experiences just aren't important enough to talk about. So we rarely hear about it. Yeah, that's, so, that's terrible. I can only imagine. I know. 
So to cope with being raped, she becomes an alcoholic, and I don't think anyone can blame her for that. Not at all. And when she's 16, she's still an alcoholic, and she gets pregnant. God. So because she's suffering from addiction and she's not really in the position to treat her addiction properly, she continues to drink almost every day of her pregnancy. So that's yeah. Okay. So um, Santoya would be born with a level of alcoholism. Yeah, that's not always the case. In fact, um, you know, you hear a lot of people ref- say the term crack baby. Yes, I've That's heard that before. actually not founded by a lot of research that that existed to the level that people made it seem like it did. Sure. It's always exaggerated. I mean, we could talk about the war on drugs and how race played into that for like a thousand episodes. <laughs> but that's another conversation for another day with Gina. Yes, you're correct. Um, Centoya was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. She was seemingly healthy when she was born, but it was later that she would be diagnosed with that. So I'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. So Centoya's biological father is unknown and is never in the picture, so we'll not worry about him. (laughs) But after having Centoya, Gina starts looking for full-time work. And I'm not sure if she went to high school part-time at this point or if she just got her GED or if she just dropped out entirely. I couldn't really confirm that anywhere, but I do know that she had a really hard time finding a job that would support her and Centoya. So I don't know what Gina's exact issue was with finding employment, but I'm going to speculate that it's the super annoying childcare system in America. So <laughs> sometimes it can literally cost more money to pay for childcare, like daycare for your baby, than you can make working full time. So it's kind of like, what's the point in working when you're going to end up losing money? Right. Absolutely. So that's an issue in and of itself. But Imagine how exacerbated that would be for a single mom with a single income household who can only apply for jobs that don't require education. On top of Centoya being a newborn baby, which is obviously super high maintenance. Right. And then on top of that, she's going to be paying like rent and all of that stuff because it is, uh, I mean, like she's on her own. So all of that additional cost has to come out of her paycheck as well. And... When was Centoya born? In 1988. Okay. And so minimum wage sucked. And it's just, that just sounds terrible. Yeah. Minimum wage still sucks. <laughs> but like, so my mom, for example, was a single mom most of my childhood. And she had to work multiple jobs to sustain us. And we weren't infants. And she had a master's degree. And yeah. it was still that hard. So yeah. like, just picture all those difficulties times a thousand for Gina. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> yes, not the greatest. I actually did read in a couple places that she eventually went to cosmetology school, but at first that like when Centoya was first born, that didn't happen and it was just really difficult, not to mention that she was still an addict. Right. So getting into cosmetology school with addiction and dealing with like homework and the fact that like cosmetology school is so human based so you have to be around people all the time and you kind of have to be sentient and like aware of everything 
Um, I don't know if sentient's the right word for that, but you know what I'm it saying. It sounded smart. Yeah, thanks. Um, I won't question it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she has to be aware of what's going on. And if she's dealing with an addiction, obviously she can't do that all of the time. And she will, like, that'll be a huge issue if she were to, like, want to cut someone's hair or do their nails or something like that. Because you kind of have to be aware of what you're doing. Right. And some people, I think, are really good at, oh, your coffee's sitting right there, by the way. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Forgot to tell you that Yay. when you got here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people, I think, are very good at managing their addiction or even hiding it from their employers. But I don't know if Gina was doing that because it right. kind of sounds like it was a pretty big issue in her life. Mm-hmm. So, oh, by the way, I'm getting all of this information from a documentary called Me Facing Life, Centoya's Story by Dan Berman, and it came out in 2010. So it's a little outdated in terms of what happens after all of this, but that's where I'm getting all this background info on Centoya and some articles. But anyways, <laughs> um, so during the first two years of life, of her life, Centoya had several different caretakers because all the things we've been talking about with Gina, mm-hmm. and she kind of starts getting into some legal issues. So she relied on a lot of people for help, which isn't bad. I mean, obviously, there's a reason that people say it takes a village, which I think is very true. But in this case, the village was like a little too big, and Centoya, right. it, it kind of started to affect Centoya adversely. Sure, yeah. And I mean, bouncing from one home to another, I just know that when my my aunt and my uncle were um, fostering kids through Catholic charities. Some of these kids had been bounced from home to home like on a weekly basis. And you could see the way that it affected them. And they didn't really have many possessions. They didn't have a sort of place to land if they ever got in trouble um, at school or whatever. So they they were just floating between all of these different places. And sometimes they wouldn't return to some of the homes. So they'd literally know uh, they'd live with a family for a week and then they would never speak to them again, which I can only imagine what that would be like to kind of connect with someone and have someone take care of you. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, move on to the next caretaker. So it can it can affect kids in a way that someone like me who never had to bounce around from home to home and my parents are still together. Like I never dealt with divorce or anything like that. I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. So I'm sure Centoya suffered a lot from um, separation anxiety from her mom and then a lot of misplacement. So that's rough. Yeah. And she's actually one year old when all of this is happening. So even though she's not necessarily old enough to conceptualize all the, you know, issues you had just touched on of like separation anxiety or like feelings of abandonment, the psychiatrist in the documentary explains that you don't have to be old enough to like understand what's happening to you. It can still affect your right. subconscious. It can still to you, yeah. And then that can even manifest itself years and years later. It doesn't even have to affect you in the moment. But um, he also explained that those are very formative years for your socialization and your brain development. So it's just not the best idea to create such an unstable environment if you can avoid it. Obviously, you don't have a choice all the time, Gina didn't really have a choice. And I do think she started to realize that, though. I think she, Gina, Gina's not a bad person by any means. So, right. She's just someone who isn't stable right at that moment. Yeah. She's a caring mom and she wants what's best for Santoya. So, she started to realize that it wasn't really great to just bounce around all the time. And she wanted a more of a long term solution. 
on top of that, kind of simultaneously, she is getting ready to serve time. And so she asks her friend Chico if his mom, Elinette Brown, would look after Centoya for a while, for like a long, have like a long term place for her to be. So Elinette is kind of described as the mom in the community that is kind of like everyone's mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and Gina knew Elinette because she was her son's friend in high school and she was always over at their house hanging out. I can totally relate to this because my mom (laughs) is exactly like this. Your mom is the most welcoming. Oh, my God. We've literally had like a hundred people live with us. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually found out, though, that Elinette is a teacher And my mom is, too. So I think that's a teacher thing. It totally is. I mean, how could it not be? Teachers are very welcoming, especially teachers who teach young kids. Yeah, not even just welcoming, but that for like my mom worked specifically with at-risk students. And so when you see children in need every single day, you can't help but want to informally adopt every single person. So Mm -hmm. I can't blame them. But Right. Take them away from that. Yeah. And that's what Elinette does. She's like totally on board. And Centoya ends up living with the Brown family until she turns 16. So even though Gina does like serve time, gets out, starts working on herself, by the time she, you know, gets to where she can be a good, stable mom, Centoya was kind of adjusted into this family. So she essentially gives Centoya to them, which I think is actually a good idea and a selfless choice because Centoya had already been tossed around a lot and probably had all of these, you know, issues that we were talking about. And even though I'm sure it was hard to give her child to someone, I think she saw that it could have been detrimental to take her out of that again and put her somewhere else. Right. When especially when she's in a home that, you know, maybe it's not the best home in the world, but it's a stable place. Mm hmm. So that happens. And in this part in the documentary, the psychiatrist explains even more about these issues that you can suffer from when you're tossed around a lot. And the way he explained that that can manifest itself is sometimes in the form of paranoia about your safety. And it kind of makes you feel like you're always the one who has to look out for yourself because Even though there are people tasked with looking out for you, you never know when that's going to be over, when you're going to be passed on to a new person to look out for you. So even at a really young age, you start to develop independence and not in a positive, healthy way, like independence because you have to be independent. Right. You're kind of like forced into it. Right. So you're starting to see kind of all the issues that like exploded on the night that she (laughs) murdered Johnny that just kind of came out of her. Of course. And how can you blame her? I mean, I'm sure she had to suppress a lot of those things. And like you said, there were some subconscious issues that she was dealing with from when she was like very young. So I understand this explosion. Yes. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And that's only half of it. I'm going to tell you even more in part three. Um, (laughs) But I'm glad that you're already feeling all the feelings for her. (laughs) So many feelings. So in part three, we'll talk more about Centoya. And I will also share with you the reason that she was in the news lately, which don't worry, it's a good thing. (laughs) It is a good thing. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.